find a seat. Hopefully you've just met someone really interesting. Who knows? Maybe you've just found your date for this week. Uh, maybe you've just made a friend who's going to change your life. Who knows? Anything can happen at church. Hey, if, if we've never met before, my name's Ed. Um, really good to meet you guys. Really good to have you here tonight. Um, I sh- was looking out as we, as we worship tonight, and I was realizing how unusual this is. Like how rare it is in our society, even in our city right now, to find churches full of people uh, worshipping God with all their hearts, all their minds, all their souls. I'm excited by that. I'm excited to see the people in this building. And I, you know, I dream of more. I dream of more. So invite your friends. Tell them. Um, come to church. Tonight we are starting a new series of talks, a new um, series of kind of ideas exploring the things that we are called to. Um, as a church, universally, and as individuals, like the things we're called to, to do and to be. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack four things that uh, we're called to be uh, in the city, in the places that we find ourselves around. And um, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, uh, God has a calling for your life. He has a, 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 an idea, a dream of what he would love you to be doing, the impact he would love you to make. And that calling is not a plan that gets you from A to B. That calling um, is an invitation to follow God into the things that he has planned for your life. Like it's not a, a, a route that he's mapped out step by step. It's an invitation to follow him into things that you can't even begin to uh, see or imagine yet. And tonight I want to kick off this series on calling, looking at what it means to be a church called to passion. Say it with me, passion, come on. Come on, say it with a bit more passion. Passion, a church called to passion. What are you passionate about? Like, what gets you hot under the collar? What, what are you interested in? What, what do you, like, live for? What are the things that you're passionate about? Ironically, when I thought of this question, I didn't have the answer for myself. And I asked my wife, Jess, I said, Jess, what am I passionate about? And she said, well, lots of things. But the thing that you're really, really passionate about is cleaning. I love cleaning. Anyone else here love cleaning? Just raise a hand if you love cleaning. Yes. I just want to say, there are more people at the evening service at the six who love cleaning than there were at the morning service, and that just says a lot. But I love cleaning. Like, I'm passionate about cleaning. I know it sounds weird, but I just, I love it. And I, I, I love the, the smell of a newly cleaned floor. I like, I love the, the sight of like a newly polished tap or a surface or a mirror. Like, I love it when you're hoovering a carpet and you leave the little stripes in it, you know, because of the way you hoover it. Anyone else love that? Right? There are a few people. You're not willing to admit it, but you love that. I love cleaning my car so much that I can see my face in the paintwork. And um, I'm not ashamed to admit this. I keep a little special paintbrush in the glove box of my car so I can get the dust out from around the air vents. Anyone else do that? It feels so good. I feel like I'm being judged here a little bit. I don't know about... It, but the process of taking something, something that's dirty and making it clean just fills me with this joy. And so when I was first married, and Jess, my wife, and I had our first flat in London, um, I, I had a day off work, and she had to go to work. And so I said, look, date, d- don't worry, you know, modern man, I'm going to clean the flat. And by the time you get home, it's going to be absolutely beautiful. You're going to absolutely love it. This is my gift to you. I'm passionate about cleaning. I'm going to do it. And as soon as she left the house, I set to work. I went into the bathroom, the smallest room in our flat, and I just began cleaning with passion. You know, like scrubbing away the lime scale and like 
wiping away the, the dirt and like cleaning every surface and, and, and scrubbing off the skid marks and, and like cleaning the floor down on my hands and knees. And by the time I looked up, it was five o'clock in the afternoon. And I look back with this joy at this sparkling, beautiful, clean bathroom. And at that minute, Jess came through the door and was like, I thought you said you were going to clean the flat. And I was like, I did clean the flat. Like, look at this bathroom. Like, you could eat off this toilet seat. It's so shiny and beautiful and lovely. And she's like, but you didn't hoover the floors. And you didn't clean the windows. And you didn't put anything away. And there's like a massive pile of washing up next to the sink. I guess I'm just passionate. And passion leads us to do strange things. It drives us, it motivates us to do things that the people around us don't always understand and don't make sense to other people. I've got loads of other things I'm passionate about too. I'm passionate about my kids and stuff, I promise. But I love cleaning. The thing is, your passions, the things that you're passionate about are the things that make you unique. And maybe like Jack, where is he? You, you love football. He's at the back. You, you just love football. You follow a team everywhere. You, you follow the highs and lows of their career. You dream of their success. You're passionate about um, the uh, transfers and, and you, you suffer every time they get some injury that holds them back. Maybe you're passionate about your business or, or the place where you work and, and the way you get to disrupt an industry that you work in and transform society. Maybe you're passionate about your kids or, or the people who are around you and you just you want everything for them. You want to see them become the people that they were made to be. So what do you do when life pours cold water on the things you're passionate about? When injury stops you playing the sport that you love, when you get made redundant from the job that you loved, when your kids seem to constantly test you by waking up at 5.30 a.m., true story right now, and you can feel that your passion is waning and running low. If we're a church who are called to be passionate, this is the question I want to try to answer tonight. How do we rekindle our passion? How do we rekindle our passion? And I want us to look at a passage in which two people who find themselves run low, eroded down, worn down by the challenges of life, find themselves impassioned again, filled again. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 24. If you've got a Bible or you want to grab it on your phone, we're going to turn to Luke 24 together, starting at verse 13. And we're going to read about an encounter on the road to Emmaus. It's going to be on the screens as well. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. 
In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of the companions who went to the tomb found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then he told the two what had happened on the way and how Jesus had recognized them when he broke the bread. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through this passage tonight. God, we dare to believe that you have a a calling on our lives and that your calling is powered not by our enthusiasm, but by your passion. And so we pray, would you speak to us through these words and reveal Jesus to us in them. Amen. Amen. You know, like these two disciples, when we find our passion running out, the thing that can restore it to us is an encounter with Jesus. When Cleopas, this disciple, and and his companion realize who it is sitting at the table with them, They say this, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? Didn't we feel passion and enthusiasm and motivation again? If we're called to be a church that are passionate and, and, and don't go cold when things around us get tough, then our passion better be rooted not in the, the things that change or the things that let us down, but in a passion for Jesus that sustains us in our everyday life. And I want to highlight three really simple, really accessible things about this passage that I believe can help us to rekindle the passion that we have for following him in our everyday life. The first is this, embrace the journey not the destination. Embrace the journey, not the destination. When I was a kid, my parents loved walking. And, and when you're a kid, you don't really like understand those kind of passions that your parents hold. But my parents would go out walking in any weather, any conditions. They would go up any kind of route. They had like boring books of walks. And like, it, you know, my dad wore like brown boots and like special things to bash the nettles out of the way while he walked along. And it was all a bit lame. And I didn't want to have anything to do with it as a kid. But my parents would drag me on these long walks. And I remember one time we went to Snowdon in North Wales. Beautiful place. Uh, And my parents said, we're going to walk up this mountain today. And I looked at it. I was like, no, not today. Like, don't drag me up this mountain today in the rain and the cold. I just don't want to be here. And so I was like classic teenager. About two thirds of the way up, I sat down on a rock and was like, no, 
I'm not going any further. You can't make me. My kids still say this to me today. I really regret saying it now when I was growing up because it's coming back at me. But I was like, I'm not going any further than this. Like, this is torture. You're like abusing me by making me walk up this mountain. I don't want to go any further. And I remember my dad just came and sat down next to me on a, a rock looking out at this view. And he spoke kindly and he spoke gently and he said, you know what, we're going to get to the top of this mountain. We're going to go as slow as you want to go. I'm going to remind you every step of the way how far we are from the summit. And when we reached the top, we had this incredible view. You can see all the way to the sea, uh, or you could if it wasn't whales and covered in rain. And... I looked out and realized that that view would never stick with me as much as the view I looked at sitting with my dad as he said he would walk the distance with me. You know, so often we are fixated on the destination of our lives when God has a plan for the journey that we're on. I want to say this tonight. God is more interested in your transformation than your destination. We need to learn to embrace the journey and allow him to change us and shape us as we go along. The village of Emmaus is around half a day's walk, seven miles from Jerusalem. And and when you think about this passage, the disciples are leaving Jerusalem. They're, They're going out of the city gates on this long journey, on this long walk. And Jesus could have appeared to them in that moment. He could have said, look, guys, I'm right here. Like, I'm alive. You don't need to worry anymore. You can go back and tell the others, like, I'm alive. I'm going to turn around all your fears and your disappointment and your shame and and go back. But he doesn't appear in that moment. Yet he walks with them. And not for this brief chat, not for this like passing encounter. He walks the whole distance, seven miles, half a day. And when they arrive at their destination, they find that they've been transformed. You know, we live In an instant world, a world where things are broken and fixed or replaced in an instant. But but this instantaneousness is not the nature of us as humans. Our questions, our doubts, our problems are not gone in an instant. And right here on the road to Emmaus with these two basically unknown followers. They get no other mention in the Bible. God demonstrates that he's willing to go the distance with us. He shows us that he wants to walk with us. And so we can't be sustained by occasional moments of encounter, like coming on a Sunday night or or, or coming to Kingdom Come on Thursday. Rather, it's our willingness to walk with Jesus through the ordinary and the everyday that will give us passion to follow him. The second thing I want to say is this. Remind yourself of what he's done. Remind yourself of what he's done. Cleopas and his companion are walking along the road. Jesus begins to ask them questions like, what are you talking about? And they begin to recall all the things that they've seen, all, all the things that they've seen following Jesus, the miracles, the, the healings, the power that come out of him, the, the words that couldn't come from any human mouth. And, and they follow Jesus. And it's like, without even realizing it, they are reminding themselves of the things that Jesus has done in their lives. That's what we need, to stay passionate about Jesus. We need to remind ourselves regularly of the things that Jesus has already done for us. Uh, This week, 
had the joy of experiencing this. We hosted some of you students um, to our house for a um, bonfire in the garden, right? It was great. It was so nice to have you. We love our students and our young adults. This is a photo that does not in any way do justice to how great the event was. Um, but we gathered, we ate hot dogs, we drank um, hot chocolate. Like, it was just so nice to have people over. And it was an absolutely freezing evening. It was really cold. But we gathered around this fire. And, and after we'd eaten, uh, Matt said, we're going to share stories of the things that we've seen God do this term. And just hearing the stories of what God's been doing, like hearing the, the stories of what God has been doing amongst people in our church, hearing stories of people praying for their friends and family, hearing people uh, telling stories of how they stepped out in faith and they saw God provide for everything they needed. And it was so cold. I, like My fingers were freezing. My toes were, were freezing. My nose was freezing. But as I heard these stories of faith and expectation and stepping out, I felt like a temperature rise in me, like an expectation rise in me, like my faith was rising. These stories reminded me how much I want to see Jesus loved and Exodus transformed, how much I want to see a revival in our city. And if we want to see passion rise up in us, we need to surround ourselves with people who tell us the stories of what God has done. Stories of transformation, stories of encounter, like when you become discouraged, when your passion wears thin, find people who can remind you of the things that God's done in your life or in their life or in some other part of the world. Remind yourself that God is still good despite your circumstances. One final thing I want to bring from this encounter on the road to Emmaus is this. We need to position ourselves in proximity to Jesus. Position ourselves in proximity to Jesus. In fact, our, our passion comes from our proximity to the presence of Jesus. That's a lot of P's. Clear passion, his companion. And they realize that the person they've walked with all this distance, who's broken bread with them, was Jesus himself. They realize the thing that they're feeling in their hearts is passion again. They say that. I want to read these words again. Were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. This is not a warm, fuzzy feeling or a cold, rational decision. What these two guys experience as they, as they spend time in the presence of Jesus is passion, a powerful emotion. And I'm not suggesting that our passions are always good, far from it. But in, in Luke 24, right here in this, in this account, we have this indication that when we're following Jesus, it's the, the things that we feel in our hearts, not just the decisions in our heads that guide our lives. In the ancient Jewish world, it's the, it's the heart and not the head that guides they saw the heart, not as we imagine it today, on the front of a Valentine's card. But in Acts chapter 3, it, Peter speaks to the Jews gathered in Jerusalem. And he says they were cut to the heart by the message of Jesus. For these early believers, the heart is not this emotional thing. It's something that provides direction. And yet in our culture, we so often relegate it to the, the secondary place. But when it comes to finding direction in our life, I wonder if we've missed something in our passions. And on this 
incredible journey, this seven-mile walk. I believe these men realize this encounter with Jesus is the thing that sets their hearts burning. It becomes clear to them that they're heading in the wrong direction, that they're running away from the calling that God has for their lives. And I guess the question that we should ask ourselves is, where is your passion and are you following it? Like clear passion his companion. Passion is the thing that can change our direction. Passion is the thing that will ultimately lead us to the things that God has laid out for us. We can't afford to ignore it or suppress it or hold it back. It's a God-given thing to motivate us, to allow us to place our passions in the hands of God and allow him to use them to do extraordinary things in us. Tonight, we're going to celebrate communion together in a moment. And we're taking bread in exactly the same way that Jesus did as he sat with these two disciples when he broke it and they recognized his presence. And in doing it, we're doing these three things which you've seen in this passage tonight. We're embracing the journey, not the destination. And we're admitting that we are works in progress. We're we're reminding ourselves of the things that Jesus has done for us on the cross and in our lives today. And we're coming into proximity with Jesus by his spirit. And as we do that now, I want to encourage you to do those three things as we share communion.